1.7 seconds to go in it. Face off to the right of Vasilevsky. One by Toronto. Shot from the point. Scores! They score! On a Seagull shot by Mo! Mo, 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 Riley! The Leafs win it in overtime! Unbelievable! Oh, no, it was just the way you draw it up. Uh, fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Sportsnet 360, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, and Blake, it is not every day you win a hockey game when you lose the five-on-five five shot attempts battle 81 to 42. You have just one single line that was a positive factor. That was the Matthews and Marner line, and they were only barely such a, a, a positive factor. Uh, but, yeah, you score a six-on-five goal at the end of regulation, send it to overtime, and you just heard it. Morgan Riley with the overtime winner. And all of a sudden, the Toronto Maple Leafs in game four tonight, the chance to go up 3-1 in the series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Sheldon Keefe said a lot of things after that game. I think the only one that's really notable and, and worth ruminating on is that he thinks that team loses that game a lot yeah. in the last couple We've of years. We've seen that. We have seen that. We've seen it. Uh, you know, look, if we're being honest, yeah, playing your 16 best perfect hockey games on your way to the Stanley Cup championship would be great. You know, 16-0, every game's a good win. If you're going to make it and you're going to go through a long playoff run, you're going to have to learn to win games that you didn't deserve to win and games where you maybe didn't have your best. Now, not the most encouraging in the world that in two of these first three games, you would say the Leafs were absolutely not at their best. Yeah. Uh, but in one of those, they stole the game. And as much as that might feel a certain way in the moment, the series is 2-1 today, and you don't start tonight's game down one nothing because you didn't deserve to win the last one. No, you got to play better today, though. I would, I would advise the Toronto Maple Leafs to play significantly better in this hockey game than they did uh, on Saturday. In fact, you would you could make a good argument that there's even more imperative to win this game now because not because you know of the series score and things like that and Pat Maroon saying it's a must win for the Lightning but yeah. if you give this one back whether by getting outplayed again or it's your turn to outplay another team and, and lose which the Leafs have seen plenty of mm-hmm. over these last couple of years yeah um, if that one's two two and you feel like one of the wins you kind of stole you're not going to feel great about heading into what's then a best of three series. More importantly, we've seen this Leaf team go up 2-1, I think, four times in the last six years. And only once did they take the kind of control of the series that you could take in these situations. We don't need to talk about what happened when they went up 3-1. But this is a spot that the Leafs have. They've put themselves in a position to step on an opponent's throat before, and they haven't done that. Now, whether that's a lack of playoff urgency, whether that's the ebbs and flows of close playoff series, we can debate till we're blue in the face, but I think there is a genuine opportunity tonight to do something that they haven't done since that Montreal series. And they really haven't done in in this entire era, which is, you know what, however you got to up to one, let Tampa Bay know you're the better team and the series is over. Like to that point about this being a super important game. um, Yeah. We know Andre Vasilevsky hasn't been at his best at all throughout the the course of the series. He has an eight, uh, eight 53 save percentage is, is real bad. It's real smelly. Um, in fact, he had an 880 through five games of the series last year against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then game six and seven happened where he stopped 60 of 64 shots. So not only does this guy have a history of being better than an 853, say, percentage goaltender, he has a history of picking it up late in the series. And the best way to counteract that, I would argue, 
is maybe don't let the series get to a game six and seven. Like, that's that's a big ask, but if you're the Leafs, that, that has to be the imperative. You have to view it the same way Pat Maroon views this, is it's not must win, and, and it truly isn't for the Lightning. Do, do with, wa- they will play game five no matter what. Like, the series won't be ended tonight, but, yeah, there, there should be a level of urgency with this Leafs team, too. Unless the Leafs want to break the Toronto Raptors 2016 record for most must-win games yeah. in a playoff run, <laughs> where I think that playoff run went, what, 20 games to see right. them out in the Eastern Conference Finals in game six, and I think they played 10 must-win games to hear Kyle Lowry tell it on the way um that's one record to have the other could just be yeah for the first time in a really long time you win a playoff series so i'm with you on that i, I think the vasilevsky element is kind of like the goaltending version of, of smoke him while you got him which is you don't know how long he's going to be human for right and you know we heard heading into this series that maybe it's intimidating for an Ilya Samsonov to look down the ice at a guy who is revered as you know a, a goaltending god you can, you know, you're you're kind of in the Rocky situation to use the other powerful Russian uh, story that we know that where, you know, he bleeds and mm. he's going to go back to being Vasilevsky if you give him enough opportunities. But right now you have to take full advantage of that. And I think the Leafs are doing an okay job of that. Certainly the shooting percentage is there, but when he looks this way and you're able to hang seven on him in one game and he's letting in some shots that, you know, we've never really seen Vasilevsky. I would love to see, you mentioned the five on five shot attempts. You'd love to see that tilt the other way and really test. Is this a, a shakier version of Vasilevsky? And if so, Rack them up while it is. Yeah. Uh, you got to get better performances from your forward group, your defensive pairings as well. But yeah, specifically the forward groups, which we'll, we'll keep an eye on, on, on everything leading up until a uh, puck drop uh, game four, of course, 730 on Sportsnet. But there is an indication that maybe because, like I mentioned, the Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Callie Yarncroke line was the only one that had a, a positive shot differential at five on five. Only line that had a positive uh, expected goals for differential. Uh, they did outscore their opponents one nothing. You know what the, the Nyes line did as well, but the Nyes line saved for like that first shift where Matthew Nyes ends up with his first uh, career postseason point. Yeah, they got caved in as well. So, I mean, the, the idea of getting a Ryan O'Reilly, a third centerman, and spreading out the wealth across three lines was supposed to be forward depth. And we saw it certainly in, in game two when they went away from loading up that second line. We did not see it in game three. And as great as John Tavares and William Nylander is, and we can maybe talk about John Tavares, who, I mean, you you go back to the seven-game series a year ago against the Lightning was arguably the Leafs' worst forward, at least from an advanced stats perspective. His expected goals for percentage was like 41% throughout the the entire seven-game series. Uh, His line got absolutely dusted in in game three as well. 11-4 to were the even-strength shot attempts against the, the Tavares line. But the idea of splitting Matthews and Marner up is is something that we've seen happen throughout the course of this regular season, a great effect. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see it tonight. It certainly sounds like reading the tea leaves when Sheldon Keefe says that there are potential changes tonight, but he's not going to tip his hand. Um, you know, one of the follow-up questions that got asked, he said... Yeah, Matthews and Marners, when you put them together, are really good, but you've got to find balance. I'm paraphrasing there, but balance was the word he used. Mm-hmm. And, you know, finding that balance is, like you said, part of why you break up the Super 2 line with Ryan O'Reilly there with Tavares and Nylander. Even with those lines separated, you were searching 
on Saturday and you saw Kerfoot come off of that second line for a bit with Matthew Nyes yeah. getting a chance to be a spark there. Matthew Nyes got a little bit of window of opportunity with Matthews and Marner too yeah. to see if Callie Yarncroke, who didn't have his best game, could find a, a groove somewhere else. I think the fourth line's probably not changing. I don't know if any yeah, of those guys not. have made a, a case to move up. Although Sheldon Keefe also said that there are a couple guys who are game time decisions for tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, don't think this is a case where you'd want another four drawing in because that only other available forward is Wayne Simmons. Well, and, but this is the last game of Michael Bunting's mm-hmm. suspension. So and that's notable. So now if you're, if you're yarn croak and you get another shot on that first line, you're, you're playing for that opportunity. I thought Nyes has done way, way, way more good than bad through his couple of games, but you probably want to also make sure that you put your best foot forward tonight. If you're a, I don't know, a Zach Aston Reese or an Alex Kerfoot who, who haven't had the, the best of series in Kerfoot's case, you, kind of just floating line to line as mm-hmm. needed, but not for the good reasons, not because you're helping every line because nothing's really clicking. Um, yeah. Some, someone's going to lose a spot when, when Michael Bunting's back, I think, unless they just beat the brakes off of them tonight and go up three, one and everyone looks good. So um, I think there's a lot to that. I, I think, you know, splitting up Matthews and Marner is always a difficult thing, especially without Bunting, because a lot of times when you have sp- split them up it's bunting and then someone else joins Matthew so at least Matthew says one pretty common line made um I I just don't know what that first line would look like if it's not that and if you're splitting up Matthews and Marner then by default you're not going back to the O'Reilly Tavares Nylander line so then what does it look like you know through your top nine it's it's difficult to see um, exactly what the plan would be if you split up Matthews and Marner. Not that they don't have options, just none that jump out as obvious and obvious positives. Yeah, uh, it's it's papering over the problem, though. Honestly, to break up Matthews and Marner, Fords just need to play. They need to play better in mm-hmm. this game. In Game Four, doesn't matter who's with who for the sixty minutes. Or well, it matters to some degree. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I would say the bigger uh, problem for the Maple Leafs if they're going to lose a game four would probably not come down to line combinations. It would just be the forward groups as a whole uh, playing a lot better. Um, special teams were not an issue in in game three. Both teams were zero for three on the power play. But we're going to talk to Dallas Aikens later on this hour about what has kind of happened after the the final horn of these games and specifically over the weekend even into the off day yesterday with the brouhaha that um developed after Braden Point got well we thought initially I thought got slammed illegally into the end boards by Morgan Riley obviously the Tampa Bay Lightning also thought that in fact the referees initially thought that he was given a five minute major penalty was reviewed uh and then overturned and the Maple Leafs ended up with a power play out of the whole thing, but that was Kucherov, you know, tackles Riley, and then Steven Stamkos just I, attacks uh, Austin Matthews while he was trying to be a, a good citizen and clean up hockey sticks. Um, we're, we're Again, we're going to talk to Dallas Aikens about this, but I'm of two minds here, Blake. One is that, okay, I, I don't believe in the big brain theory that Sheldon Keefe thinks that the, the Lightning knew that they were going to be shorthanded so that they had free reign because the, the officials were never going to call a five on three. Like I said, initially, there was a five-minute major penalty called. So I'm sure the, the Lightning in that moment thought they were going to the power play. And secondarily, he, there should have been a five on three. I mean, that's that's pretty clearly an instigator penalty on, on Steven Stamko. So to the first one first, um, I don't think we knew in the moment that they'd called five on Riley, right? So I, I think no, but I think what Keith is probably saying is your read 
live because there wasn't the whistle initially on the Riley hit. It was once the, I mean, we're talking a bang, bang play here, but mm-hmm. it didn't sound like there was a whistle on the Riley thing. So um, Keith's probably giving the Tampa Bay lightning players a little too much benefit of the doubt in terms of how much are you processing <laughs> yeah. and evaluating the situation. But we know the Tampa Bay lightning for years now. And as part of their willingness to play shorthanded and take the game into special teams, Justin Bourne wrote about this in, I think February about how, when yeah the lightning will muck with you and they'll do nonsense after the whistle and they're okay if they take the odd penalty if you do it to them it is five guys on you right away yeah that is there is a connectivity with that team even if it edges past you know where you'd want you know the old draymond line or the michael bunting line or whatever they tow it often and i think part of it is they've seen success from that part of it is to Keith's point, they know they're not all going to get penalties. Like no. if all five of your guys jump in there and maul Morgan Riley, let's mm-hmm. say the Leafs, you know, all four of the other Leafs backed away. They yeah. were like, Nope, not taking penalty hand behind my back. We're the good boys. Uh, they're not, they're probably not sending all five Tampa Bay lightning off. And I think that's more what Keith meant. I don't think it was a, mm-hmm. Oh, well, let's see. There was a whistle for that. Not a whistle for that. We're going shorthanded. I'd also say that, as a matter of rule, anytime there is a scrum like that, it is smart hockey if you are a player who is not at the level of Austin Matthews yeah. to try to take Austin Matthews off of, the ice with of you. Of course. Now, Steven Stamkos is at the level of Austin Matthews. Yeah, he's pretty close. But I would say... <laughs> First time two 60-goal scorers, I think, have ever gotten in a fight in National Hockey League history. Yeah, like who? we'd have to go to Yager, right? Yeah. For Yager and Brett Hall, yeah. maybe they crossed paths enough to, to Tilly once or twice. Um, but I don't think so. I, I can't imagine it's happened uh, much, if at all. I think, yeah, Stamkos is maybe the one exception on Tampa Bay. If you're any other Tampa Bay forward and you can take Austin Matthews in the penalty box. Yeah, you do that. Exactly. And and so I think the combination of these things is kind of what Keefe is getting at. And manipulate was maybe not the right word. Probably the right word to use if you want the officials to hear it and just kind of embed something in their brain. But I think what he's talking about is the Tampa Bay Lightning have played this style of hockey for years and know what will and won't get called in scrums like that with some confidence and they know who the other team's personnel is. And through that, they're a little more willing to push the envelope in those situations than a team like the Leafs are. Mm -hmm. I think that's the reality of it. Um, I think the Leafs, you know, maybe they could push it a little further. Although we also have seen a couple times in the series, the Leafs not able to find their own version of like the, the Lafferty, cross-check yeah. um, in game three as an example, which he received the max fine for, which is so funny when we get to the playoffs and the max fine's like 3,000 like bucks. Um, anyway, I, I think that it's something that the Leafs have to learn to do and learn to navigate a little bit more because you're going to see more of this the longer you go in the playoffs. Um, it's just one of those things. Now, to the actual five-on-three point that you made. Yeah. Should have had a five on three. How 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 do they not come out of that with a five well, on three? Nikita Kucherov attacks Morgan Riley for a, cl- a play that we all can agree yes. was not penalty worthy, right? Well, like there was nothing egregious about so Riley. Is, I, what you think that well, he made a dangerous play on Braden Point? It no. ended up in a horrible play, and yes. and it's amazing that that guy who's one of the toughest in the National Hockey League returns for the game and is probably going to play in tonight's game. Yes. But I didn't see anything no. untoward. No, if you if you've been in that situation, right? What you can once you see that he's lost the edge or whatever and, and the bodies have tilted that way you maybe have time to ease up and that's mm-hmm. it like morgan riley was pot committed to that check and yeah. he's not the re like that's just a really unfortunate situation i do wonder though if in terms of not if kucherov not getting the 
or whoever not getting the extra one because Kucherov did get an extra one. Yeah. Anyway, to, for it to not be a five on three, and I know the rules say the referees are not allowed to do this when they review just the Morgan Riley yeah. hit. And this is, all. this is why they call it a five minute in the first place, right? right. Because then it's reviewable. Uh, I do wonder if they looked at the totality of the entire thing and were like, you know what? We're not going to give Morgan Riley the penalty, but this is a, we're only deeming if this Steven a five Stamkos on four. If Stephen Stamkos doesn't get an I know. instigator penalty Look, for that, then to, why even have it in the rule I'm book? trying to put myself in the head to figure out how. We don't need to do that. Yeah, the yeah. referees have been uh, the target of some derision this postseason for sure, and I think yeah. rightly so. And and that's you know not how I feel the, about talking about it. I know, but it's and, and a and lot that, of good hockey to listen, break it, down. Yeah, and, and as far as the list of egregious penalties or calls throughout the course of the Stanley Cup playoffs that's like not in the top 50 that we saw on Saturday yeah I was gonna say it wasn't in the top 10 this weekend and yeah yeah, there's there's a lot Um, yeah but the idea of of reviewing all that stuff is I I think an interesting proposition maybe we'll ask Dallas and it's it's something that at least on the NBA side people have argued the referees should have the ability to do so if you go back and you're reviewing just a flagrant foul whether whether something gets the extra um, flagrant point and, and free throw over just a common foul well people would like the referees to be able to survey the entire play and hey maybe there was something else going on that you missed now that gets a slippery slope because then are you just video reviewing how far back you going you're gonna review the last two minutes are you gonna there's a legal tip-off at the beginning of the game yeah, yeah. A, I mean, that's what the Dallas Mavericks basically said. They were like, hey, one of our shoes was untied in the middle of the third quarter. And if you don't let us replay this game, we're tanking. Yeah. And, and they, they took their ball and went home. With yeah, it. all it cost them was a half million bucks. So, whatever. I mean, the, the thinking at the root of this is kind of the soccer idea of play the advantage right now. Soccer doesn't call the penalty and review it and things like that. You, you have VAR for goals, but there is a referee discretion of, OK, who got the advantage and to what degree and do we let it play on? I don't think anyone wants NHL referees making those kind of judgment calls. Um, but yeah, the, the, it's a, it's pretty bad when your best player is getting punched in the face with no glove a bunch of times and it's right in front of the official and he eventually has no choice but to mm. push back a little bit. And, and even then, I thought it should have been only two for no, Austin I didn't, Matthews. I, probably. Honestly, what Austin Matthews did was not fighting, right? Yeah, and like I hate <laughs> to say stuff like this because it sounds Homer coming on a Toronto radio station and stuff, but I, I have trouble understanding what Austin Matthews yeah. could have done after letting that You're go on for like 25 like, seconds. Yeah, eating punches to the face at, at that point. Anyways, um, we'll, we'll get back into that later on in the program. Um, so... Leaf fans perhaps not pleased with the officiating. Yankee fans not pleased with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. every time he steps to the plate, which is spectacular. He's kind of leaned into being the black hat of this thing. Um, we don't really know all the details as to why he would never oh, play we, for the Yankees. We know that we have the details on fairly good authority. Like it was, it was reported. Said it's a family thing. Well, it, it's been reported that when Vlad Sr. was a free agent, I believe the year was 2003, um, he was very, very close to a deal with the Yankees and George, the late George Steinbrenner wanted Gary Sheffield instead and almost the almost identical contracts. I think Vlad's was a year longer. It's been reported that at like at the pen to paper point of those negotiations, Steinbrenner said, no, I want Sheffield. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if specifically that's what Vlad's referring to. As a family thing, but that's a pretty easy line to draw. Yeah, okay. And that's fine. Whatever it is, I'm glad that it happened. because yeah, 12 result- <laughs> career home runs at Yankee Stadium already? Uh, yeah, a couple of home runs in uh, the series victory over the weekend. Is the, the Blue Jays going 3-3 three and three, uh, on a road trip 
in some pretty difficult places to play in the American League in Houston and New York. You'd take it, except the Rays win every day. So so that kind of stinks. That doesn't feel so great. Yeah, but the Rays keep winning against these. Buddy. Well, hang on. Let's wait until after the White Sox-Jays series to yes. say if the Rays are beating up bad teams <laughs> or, or good teams. Um, the, look, the White Sox are 7-15. and 15. The A's yeah. are 4-18. and 18. Mm-hmm. It's I, I know the Rays keep winning, and it's they're 19-3 and three now, and the Jays are having a really good start to the season. They're six games back. All you can control at this point is your own baseball. And I think the Jays are playing pretty good baseball on top of being responsible for two of those three losses. Yeah, that Tampa Bay has I, I have, I've done the thing. You shouldn't look at the standings right now um, because there's no point. It's, you it's should so look early at the run in, differential column though. It, it is hilarious. Yeah, no. And, and the Rays are full, full value for what they've done. But I did wonder like, where is the soft spot of the schedule for the blue Jays? And it does get a little tougher for the Rays. They got a, a stretch of games where they got the Yankees and, and the Astros. But the Blue Jays, I found it, by the way. I did find it's this, this off. series? No. <laughs> I mean, this one, yeah, you get one-offs like this. No, Yeah, but then it's Seattle after that, right? Yeah. I'm talking about prolonged, like what the Rays have been through. They've played every crappy team across the major leagues of baseball. Um, so in late August, early September, the Blue Jays go Reds, Nationals, Rockies, A's, and then there's like a couple series and then Royals. So that'll that'll be it. That'll be the... I've got one for before that for you. What's that? Uh, they go in June. They go Twins, Orioles, Rangers, Marlins, Athletics. But that's not the, the same. Or, no, that's it's not, not at but, but all is, the same. That's three weeks of like the best team you play might be a 500 team. Okay, but you said the Orioles in there? They, yeah, they're fine. And the Rangers? Teams. Come on. The you Ra- think the Rangers are still going to be good by late June? Well, I, it, maybe. I mean, they've spent enough that they should be good enough. Oh, the story of the last 20 years for right. the Texas Anyways, Rangers. So I didn't and mean I know, to- I know Minnesota's over 500 right now, too, but they're right. 12 and 10 in the AL Central. Yeah, and they don't get to, to yeah feast on the, the AL Central anymore. By the way, the American League East, I, I'm glad everybody... I mean, not that they didn't already know it, and, and the Red Sox probably stink and aren't going to finish above 500. But right now, the only division in baseball where all five teams are above 500, and at least, you you know, you have to be some good version of yourself to beat any of these teams, including the Orioles uh, and the Red Sox, who have dangerous players uh, throughout their lineups. Anyways, the story for the Blue Jays throughout the last five games, throughout the entirety of the road trip, was the rotation being ridiculous. Everybody... Through this last turn through the rotation was incredible. 33 and a third innings pitch, just three earned runs. 0.81. Okay. The ERA. Yeah, it's good. So is the rotation one of the best in baseball? I don't know if I believe that. I think going into the season, I would have told you that they had two of the best starters at the top of the rotation. Chris Bassett, that's a nice, you know, know, if he is what Jose Barrios was supposed to be, somebody steady that, you know, can take the ball 30 times and give you some quality if, starts. If Bassett, Barrios, and Kikuchi are all what Barrios is supposed to be, then you a, got something. And this is the thing. This is how we teed it up coming into the season with a more optimistic band. And I don't even think we were, you know, we certainly weren't, oh, Barrios. I think I have a uh, friendly, like, handshake bet with a friend about whether or not Barrios' ERA comes in under 425. And I was on the higher side uh, just slightly. That's where the bar was. Kikuchi, we were talking about, hey, could he give you five innings, giving up three runs? Like, that's a 540 ERA. Yeah. But the consistency with it, you take. And then Bassett being Bassett, it wasn't that the Jays' rotation necessarily profiled as the best, but you had five guys, and and the potential depth with that is what holds up. You're not going to match, even with Tampa Bay having lost Jeffrey Springs, like Tyler Glasnow is on his way back. Yeah. You're not going to match Tampa Bay. You're not going to match Houston for the overall quality of that rotation. I think it, balancing out 
ceiling and depth. But I think what you've seen is one turn through the rotation. The Jays just went from like 27th in starters yeah. ERA to 18th. One, <laughs> like it's early. So it's, it's going to, you know, they're going to be ups and downs. But I, if this, if this rotation manages to put together, say a, a top 10 rotation ERA, you really like where you're at given what, I mean, the top of the order, at least profiles like offensively, I would say that. Yeah. Um, is, is this rotation going to be the best in baseball? I don't believe that, but the potential exists for this to be like a, a top 10, top five rotation in the American league. Why not? Like we already, I just mentioned that the top two guys are there, right? Well, the, and especially the why after not you is saw that three of the five still have big question marks about them. Well, and, and you included Bassett in there? No, I'm including Manoa instead of Bassett. Okay. I mean, you weren't convinced that the, the guy that we've seen throughout the entirety no, of his entire career I, I'm convinced. Was, was resurrected no, I, at Yankee I'm, Stadium I against his all nemesis, that, Garrett Cole? I wasn't all that worried in the first place right. that he wouldn't be no, able to so, figure it out. But I don't think you can crown when your opening day starter still has a 513 ERA. I don't think you get to take a victory lap just yet on him being fixed when he's had one really good start this year out of five turns that's all i'm just saying the potential exists like if, if sure and and this is it's the a potential bad also exists for them to be a bottom five rotation we saw that the first time mm, through the order yeah i would say okay so that it would be an outlier season for chris bassett what would have to happen to chris bassett he would have to have the jose barrio season from right. a year and ago he's not going to uh, so i'm just saying that like you can do it both ways this early is all there's the we've seen this rotation have an era over eight yeah once through the rotation and an I, era under one once through the rotation yeah they're the, probably somewhere the range the of possibilities middle is is high yeah <laughs> with this rotation but the ceiling is also super high yeah i mean i think this is gosman right gosman has a 284 year old basically 12 bad per nine yeah. yeah um i think gosman is gosman i think manoa you know maybe doesn't have last year's era maybe some teams have a little bit more on him or, or he just can't catch up to the to the start or whatever but he's going to be fine bassett's bassett um it's barrios and kikuchi who are the guys still that you know Barrios, uh, you're probably going to need to see it for a little bit mm-hmm. after last year to, to truly buy into it. No, and, for sure. And Kikuchi, I mean, Kikuchi's been amazing. Buddy, they're like, going to be. I told you there was one thing I cared about when it came to Yusei Kikuchi this walks. year is walks, and he's done that start to finish. The fact that he's had two good starts now without a lot of strikeouts is yeah. is wildly encouraging. <laughs> yeah, it is. And he's a guy that's uh, obviously capable of striking people out. Anyways, uh, before we uh, take a break, we should also mention that uh, it's Nate Pearson time. Nate Pearson has been recalled. Adam Simber has a right rhomboid strain. So he's on the 15-day IL. Uh, Pearson struck, like, just about everybody out. Uh, what, he's got, like, 16 strikeouts and eight and a third innings in, in AAA this season. He's been real, real good with the strikeouts. He has been. He's also been very, very good at uh, inducing weak contact. When, mm-hmm. when guys have been able to uh, put the bat on the ball, it is a lot of soft ground balls, some infield flies. He did on Friday... You know, he gave up one pretty well-hit liner in an inning where he also had a walk and a wild pitch. But I pulled some of the numbers I went through. This is a thing that's new this year is baseball savant. The stack cast stuff has um, individual game logs for AAA. So you can't you can't see like a whole pitcher snapshot. Mm-hmm. But if you're like me, you can go through and look at every single one. Um, so over his last five outings, 11 swing and miss on just 52 fastballs he's thrown. 95.5 is the lightest fastball he's thrown okay. over his last five <laughs> He outings. underhanded that one. Yeah, and then the slider hasn't located nearly as well. Um, but he's had some walks, for sure. He's only had two walks over his last 
five outings. Oh, that's not okay. It's pretty good. Like 11 to two strikeout to walk ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take it. The slider hasn't located super, super well, um, but he gets swing and miss on it. And the fastball has been so electric and the fastball uh, Arden Swelling went into this a little bit on blue Jay central on Sunday, the fastball location around the edges of the strike zone. So obviously you don't want to hang a meatball. You don't want to miss by much. His ability to put it, you know, within a ball width of the strike zone uh, has been really, really good of late. Yeah, that's you don't want non-competitive pitches. You want something that is, um, if it's not going to be in the strike zone close enough that uh, you have to make a decision to swing at ninety-nine. By the way, breaking news, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, the, not you, not you guess. It's breaking. Um, Nick Nurse needs a new landing spot, I guess, because the the Houston Rockets have hired Ime Udoka as their next head coach, and the Raptors perhaps need a new number one candidate to to fill their head coaching vacancy. Maybe we'll dig into that a little later on. Yeah, Shams Trania and and uh, Kelly Eco of the Athletic, as well as Woj, um, coming in with the the news that that is uh, a done deal, which is interesting because there was a, an ESPN video podcast today that really laid it on thick that the Raptors and Udoka were close. So I, I don't know if that was uh, leaked misinformation to try to like, we see this sometimes on the player side, yeah. an agent leaks that something's close and that try that's to push another thing over the, uh, over the line, that last little bit of leverage or whatever. Either way, uh, the Raptors presumed number one target and someone who comes with some real question marks, as you and I discussed with Ramona Shelburne on Friday on the program, um, is now in Houston. So the the search is now a real wide ranging and probably taking a long time search in earnest. Yeah, for sure. And we'll see. Maybe this means Nick Nurse is going to, as you suggested, maybe take the whole year off and really, you know, think about his his next move. But yeah, he'll, he'll be uh, employed seemingly um, whenever would, he wants to be. Yeah, whenever he wants to be. Although I, I don't know if you can say that because it feels like he wanted to be in Houston. So, but we don't know that really other than we know that there were discussions and he had interest in it Mm -hmm. we also i what is something that i said when he said i I need to take time to think about it in process my speculation was yeah you're taking time to see who gets knocked out in the first round of the playoffs and where openings might open up yep all right um it's toronto maple leafs playoff game tonight and we have more toronto maple leafs playoff hockey means more 50-50. 50-50. The playoff 50-50 draw continues uh, part of a great cause. Helps support youth across Ontario excel through sport and community engagement. Tonight's draw is currently up to $12,152. So make sure you get your tickets at 5050.mapleleafs.com. When we come back, speaking of the Toronto Maple Leafs, we will talk to a uh, former NHL head coach, also former coach of the Toronto Marlies, Dallas Akins, next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and we are live on Sportsnet 360. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. classic example of a veteran championship team like Tampa Bay manipulating the officials and taking advantage of a situation, right? I mean, they know we're basically already going on the power play because of the Kucherov situation. So it's a free-for-all. They can do whatever they want, and, and they just know the way the games get called. They're not going to get another penalty. Manipulated the referees. Um, right, I'm not sure what that means. I, I would say this. this when that hit happened... 
I think everybody watching at home and everybody in the building thought, including us, thought we were going on a power play. Mm. All right, there is Sheldon Keefe and John Cooper. It's Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and Sportsnet 360, Ben Ennis and Blake Murphy. Uh, we'll get into that in just a second. But let's talk to Dallas Aikens, uh, former Oilers and Ducks uh, head coach. He was at the, uh, I get I'm going to call it the best game of the postseason so far. Kings-Oilers yesterday exchanging three goal periods, first and second. Uh, I imagine you were sitting next to, to Will Ferrell and his, his, his face makeup, Dallas. I would have liked to be uh, uh, sitting next to him. That would have been fun, that's for sure. Uh, I would have been minus the uh, the face paint, though. Quite the weekend for Will Ferrell. He was at the Lakers game, too, in an old Minneapolis Lakers jersey. Uh, number one sportsman. Uh, Dallas, you were there, though. Uh, where would you? It, this was a, a heck of a weekend for playoff hockey in general. We had three overtime games on Saturday, including uh, the Leafs game and that big Jets comeback that uh, just kind of flittered out of the fingers in overtime. Uh, where would you put that Oilers-Kings one? That, that had to be a blast to be at live. Yeah, what, what a great time to be a hockey fan. Like the, the, this playoff action has been unreal and, and we're just getting started. Um, you know, that game yesterday, I've watched a lot of hockey here over the last little bit, obviously. Um, but, but it was a really good game. Like the, uh, it, it was basically three different games in, in, in one. Um, but real exciting to be in a, the, that building. Uh, it was certainly electric there last night. Yeah, and that's just on the ice. Um, let's talk about the stuff that's happening off the ice because uh, there's some intrigue there as well. And we just played the clip of, of Sheldon Keefe and, and John uh, Cooper going back and forth about that uh, melee in game three after uh, Morgan Riley takes Braden Point into into the end boards. Uh, I Just like in a, in a general sense here, Dallas, when the stakes are so high and, and the focus is is on every word that comes out of these head coaches' mouths. How how thoughtful, how much preparation, how much intent do you do you think exists with each of their their post game and then off day comments between these two head coaches? Uh, very much. Uh, it, it'll be well thought. It'll be something that they'll think about on their their drive home uh, uh, after the game or back to the hotel. It'll be something that'll be discussed with possibly their uh, press relations people with the, the, the general manager. Um, and, you know, sometimes you're just reacting back to a question as well, but, you know, going into those things, there, there isn't much that you haven't thought about um, what could be asked or the, the messaging that you want to get through. And, and when I see those uh, back and forth, and obviously I heard the clip as uh, I was coming on, I, I quite chuckle a little bit and, you know, coaches are trying to uh, speak to their players sometimes. They're trying to speak to the league, speak to the officials, speak to uh, the press, speak to the, the, the fans. And then the other coach has to make a choice. It's either he's going to say nothing and blow it off or, he, or he's going to have something to come back. So just like we saw Luke Shen and Janot uh, get after it one way, the, the coaches need to have a little bit of fun too. Yeah, John Cooper always seems like he's having fun with, and why not? I mean, he's made three straight Stanley Cup finals. Uh, I'm sure that was fun, uh, winning a, a couple of them. Um, so the play that they were both referencing, like I mentioned, the, the Morgan riley Braden Point play where the Leafs ended up with a power play, but yeah, you could make a pretty legitimate case that it should have been a five-on-three. Something we just we touched on at the beginning of the, sh- the show here at Dallas that, okay, so you can review five-minute major penalties, and it's why initially Morgan Riley was given the five, but you can't review anything else. How would you feel about expanded replay where 
I don't know, maybe everything's on the table that you can you can review any type of penalty, whether there should have been one or or whether one should be overturned. Oh, man, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I come from the, I, I love what the league has done uh, like with the video review. I, I think it's really brought a lot of conversations, people debating if the puck was fluttering one way or another way, whether that was a five, they go to review, coaches can uh, challenge things. That's all great, I, I think, for the game and the conversation and, and really keeping um, each and every play relevant. Uh, myself, I'm more of the old school. Like, you know what? If there's going to be a missed offside, it, it's going to go uh, your way a, a different day. If there's going to be a missed penalty uh, or maybe the wrong penalty was called, you'll get one down the road. And I don't love it um, personally. Um, but I do love it for the game and the amount of conversation and debate that it brings up because that's what we want in the end. We want great fan engagement. And I think our fans in this sport are incredible. And I I think these conversations are actually quite good um, for the game uh, and that engagement. That's an interesting take, Dallas. I'm curious is your take as well on, you know, let's let's assume, like you said, that, that both of these coaches are very thoughtful about when and how they use these um, these bullets with the, the referees publicly and the other coach publicly. Um, the decision for Sheldon Keefe to mention something like that coming off of a win, heading into a pretty pivotal game for, uh, do you like that? Is it just kind of say it when you when you feel it or, or is there some strategy to when you want to put that out there over the course of a long series well i'm not going to pretend what, that i know what's going on in in the least <laughs> dressing room and so there's things that are said in between periods right there's things that are said after games and that could have been just as simple as hey the the the, the players in the room were really upset that they weren't going on a five on three and so the coach can choose to say nothing and hey we just move on or he can go out there and voice that uh, through his mouth rather than the players having to go do it. And so, you know, sometimes uh, coaches are just looking to stick up for their players. Uh, Sometimes they're trying to lead their players. Um, But I think everything that is said there, there's, there's a trail, right? Um, There, there's a, a bunch of breadcrumbs leading back to what the energy, what was said, um, what was discussed uh, in between periods after games between that coach, that coaching staff, the manager, and, and the players. Talking to Dallas Aikens, um, what about, yeah, within that, that Maple Leafs dressing room after that game three in which they, they got pretty thoroughly outplayed, uh, they scored a late game uh, goal in regulation and then, of, of course, the overtime winner, and, and they got some great goaltending from Elias Samsonov down the stretch, but not not something that you can likely replicate going forward or or you'd prefer to outplay the other team and not rely on a goaltender, but goaltending is, is part of the equation. What kind of a message do you think Sheldon Keefe is delivering to his team considering that? Yeah. If that's the same game script for a game four, it's unlikely to, to, to yield uh, similar results. Well, I'll tell you what, those are the ones you want to win when you didn't deserve it because it's, it's like, Hey, uh, start up the bus, get on the bus, and let's get the hell out of here as fast as we can. Um, it's like you stole something. And so, you know, the, obviously that is hard to replicate, especially when the uh, the heat has been turned up in, in, in every game. So I, I'm sure they have uh, uh, want to go in and just tweak their game plan a little bit. 
Um, you know, I, I've seen some comments where they want to be much harder on their forecheck. That's an easy thing to do. Um, a lot of times that just takes a little bit more will and a little less thinking. But th- this is an incredible series. The, um, like when you go down the stat lines, it, it's amazing how even it is, whether you look at the power plays are basically the same, the penalty kills are the same, the goals for are just a smidgen off. Like their, their shots per, per game are dead on. Like they're at 31.7 uh, each averaging. So this is an awesome series. Um, I love Tampa's ability to be the champs. They've been here before. Uh, they seem to get unfazed by anything. And, and the Leafs, uh, uh, w- with uh, some great acquisitions at, at the deadline, are uh, leading to the deadline, ha- have a, just an incredible team as well. Dallas, you mentioned the the forecheck and, and how a team can can say that and do better. Well, one area I've thought the Leafs have done pretty well through a couple games, uh, the last two anyway, is uh, using Matt geez, using Matthew Nyes as that forechecking weapon, big body, um, pretty physical. And yeah, some, maybe some ups and downs because he is a rookie coming in um, right out of the NCAA. I know when you were with the Marlies, you had Morgan Riley for a handful of games fresh out of junior. Um, What is that adjustment like trying to get a guy ready for the pros in short order, like right into meaningful games? And what have you seen from Nyes so far that you've liked? Well, just what you said, you know, he, he's a big body. It looks like he moves really well. And I, I think a lot of over the, the overthinking at part is like getting him ready. You just got to understand right away that he is not going to have the same gamesmanship that Corey Perry brings, right? Like he, he hasn't been there. He, he doesn't have that experience, but what, what he does have is he's inexperienced uh, uh, enough to just go out there and play on instinct and will, which is really fresh too. Like that can really bring a spark uh, to a line, to a team, to a period, whatever that is. So you don't have to be grizzled and have to gone through it uh, always. Sometimes injecting just that little bit of energy, um, that uh, uh, inexperienced hope, excitement can, can really uh, get you going. So um yeah, going back to Morgan Riley, like what a what a goal the other night, and coming from the the, the face off win uh, by the always present in the playoffs O'Reilly, uh, one of my favorite players to uh, to to watch, and it's been a real privilege for me uh, over all these years to watch Morgan develop into what he is today. Yeah, it's not like he came out of nowhere. He was a, he was a high first round pick, but you you saw his first pro games. I mean. I'm sure the the organization was was obviously very bullish on him. But what what were your initial impressions when you had him with the Marlies in, th- in twelve thirteen? Just a really well thought kid. And you know what's really interesting on this is I won't get into a really long story. But the one thing I've always loved about the draft is I love going in and watching those amateur guys move players around, like how they redo re- their lifts. And I remember sitting in there that year. And the, we, we were really focused as an organization on one player, and he was the number one pick for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's the guy that they had uh, above the others. And, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, these teams come out and say, man, they got, they got the guy that they wanted. They couldn't believe he was there. He was number one on our list. And I didn't know who Morgan Riley was that year. 
uh, I remember them saying he had had like a knee injury or a broken leg. I can't remember what it was now. And he hadn't played that much that year, but they had him number one on that list ahead of all of these other really high skilled forwards. And so for him to become a Toronto Maple Leaf that year had that staff extremely excited. And I, I think if you look back at that draft now, Morgan Riley was a, Pretty darn good pick. <laughs> no, we all laughed at Brian Burke, but no, he was right. Like, yeah, no, you'd prefer Morgan Riley than Neil Yakupov, I think. I, I think that's that's pretty safe to say. No offense. Griffin uh, Reinhardt. Yeah, <laughs> no no offense. Again, no. no but, I, but, like, that's the truth. Like, I yep. was sitting in the room, and number one on the list was uh, was Morgan. And then I can't remember who two, two might have been. Uh, the the other Russian player, I can't remember. So uh, Ryan Murray went two, Gal- Galchenyuk went three, and Griffin Reinhardt went four. Yeah, like all those guys were below him. And yeah. it, it's interesting how these things uh, get sorted out. No, it is amazing. Uh, before we let you go, Dallas, um, I've never heard you talk about your two minutes and 28 seconds of ice time in game six of the 1999 first round series against the Flyers. What can you tell me about those two minutes and 28 seconds on the ice as a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs in the playoffs? Well, I'll tell you this. I, I, here's a great one. Uh, Sergey Berzan was about to go get his skate sharpened. He didn't have uh, and Brian Papineau was the trainer. And we had just gotten a power play late to go in the game. And I was obviously sitting there because they weren't putting me on the ice. And, and I said, we've got a power play. You cannot get that skate sharpened. And he didn't go get his skate sharpened, listened, and ended up going out and scoring the game-winning goal. And that was a really sad series for me because Roger Nielsen was the coach of the Philadelphia Flyers and I knew it was probably his only crack to really win a Stanley Cup and uh, that made me really sad because Roger was like a second father to me so I do remember uh, the uh, Berzan deal and I remember Rog on that other bench and it it just killed me um, that night that we, uh, we, we beat them out. I was obviously happy to be part of a a winning team, but uh, that was a, a, a sad moment in my heart for a, a guy that I love dearly. Yeah, just uh, one goal in the hockey game, one nothing win for the Leafs uh, in Game 6 over the Flyers. That was back when uh, the Leafs used to win playoff series. Maybe this year, though. Uh, Dallas, I uh, appreciate you taking the time for us today. Thanks so much. Anytime, guys. There's Dallas Aikens, former Oilers, Ducks head coach, uh, also former Marley's head coach. So that I remember that series. I don't remember Dallas Aikens being in it, but that was no. The, you would you would have to yeah. If you blinked, you might have missed him. Yeah. Also, I was like twelve years old. Yeah, <laughs> or thirteen years old or something. Um, but when I was a kid, I mean, I was always a Leaf fan, but I was like enamored with the Flyers as well, the like Legion of Doom line. Mm-hmm. And Lindros missed that series. Heard it was like the biggest thing in my world that the Leafs were going to go up against Lindros and LeClaire. And who was I going to cheer for? And like my dad giving me a hard time because I mean, as a kid, you can get away with having two teams, mm-hmm. but that being a learning lesson of no, you can't no. Cause what if they meet in the, in the first round of the playoffs and then no Lindros made it nice and easy. But yeah, I remember heading into that one, that, that being a pretty, pretty formative. Oh yeah. You gotta, you gotta choose your loyalties real quick and real firmly in the playoffs. Yeah, no, you don't get to spread it around. It's not you do like as a kid. Nah, I guess. I, I don't know. It's not the way I teach my kids. It's not like March Madness where you make 500 brackets and all the teams are your team. Uh, no, you, when you're a fan of a sports team, you have to choose one. Poor Dallas Aikens, though. Uh, coach of the Oilers, right before they get Connor McDavid. Uh, 
was dismissed as head coach of the Anaheim Ducks right before they're potentially going to win the NHL draft lottery and uh, and select Connor Bedard. But speaking of draft lotteries, like, yeah, I, going back to the Morgan Riley thing with Brian Burke, I mean, that was at the time when Brian Burke said it, right? Of course, And of course you're going to say that about your guy that you select fifth overall. But we laughed at him. Like, people thought that, that there is absolutely no way that you you're drafting fifth and the guy that you had at the very top of your draft board was truly the guy that ended up falling into your lap at number five. But you go back and, and look at the four guys taken ahead of him, especially the guy at number one. Uh, the Oilers finally eventually got it right with, with McDavid. They had no choice but to get it right. But yeah, the Yakupov, uh, regrettable, number yeah. one overall pick. And look, Riley has played more games than anyone else from that draft class. Mm-hmm. Um, Philip Forsberg and Thomas Hurdle are the only players with more points than him. Those guys, of course, uh, forwards who went in the first round. So yeah, looks pretty good to this date. And I know he didn't have the best of all around games on Saturday, but the, this kind of like Morgan Riley being the one leaf who consistently comes through in the playoff, like persists as a thing. Yep. Second in uh, Maple Leafs uh, point getters this postseason. So yeah, uh, it's not all about points, especially when you're a defenseman, but certainly helps to, to score in overtime. Yeah, they help. Uh, the, it is all about points. If that point is the overtime game winner, I will say that. All right. Uh, well said. All right. When we come back, uh, Blue Jays return home. And for the first time, I guess, since opening day, the dome will be closed because, yeah, this is normal April weather. Uh, they got the White Sox who stink right now. So we'll talk uh, to our next guest about that. We'll also talk to Dan Shulman about what is some big news. It was news that we knew was coming, but it is finally now officially officialized that the Green Bay Packers have sent Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets. And essentially the uptake is that the Packers move up a couple spots in this year's draft, but they end up getting a second round pick in next year's draft. But that one can be converted to a first round pick if Aaron Rodgers plays like 65% of the snaps. The context here, by the way, guys, uh, Dan Shulman, big Packers fan. That, that's, that's, that's why right. that's we're not the just bringing this on him. <laughs> All right, so Dan Shulman is next. As the fan drive time continues, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and we are live on Sportsnet 360.